Hello, good day. My name is Edmond and we are continuing with discharge in contract law. Now, the previous voice note, we were talking about discharge by breach and we were talking about repudiation before the fixed time for performance. And we said the party, the innocent party could either treat the contract as discharged and sue for damages or he may affirm the contract and wait until the time when the repudiating party has to perform. Now, option one. Where the innocent party accepts the repudiation and treats the contract as discharged, let's look at the case of Hochester and De La Torre. The defendant agreed to employ the plaintiff, the plaintiff as his courier during a foreign tour commencing June 1st. On May 15th, the defendant informed the plaintiff that he had changed his mind and would not require his services. Plaintiff brought the action for breach of contract on May 22nd. The defendant's objection was that there would be no breach of the contract until June 1st, which was the date fixed for performance. The defendant's argument was rejected on the ground that the anticipated breach was itself a breach of the contract and it entitled the plaintiff to sue immediately for damages. Um, in the case of Inri Timber and Transport Company and um, Zastava versus Bonsu and Anno. So these are two cases together. Inri Timber and Transport Company, Kumasi Kruzevac Company Limited and Zastava versus Bonsu and Anno. I would just say Zastava and Bonsu and Anno. By a written agreement entered into on July 20th, 1971 between Timber and Transport Company Limited, let's call it TT, and a Yugoslav, a Yugoslav company, the two companies were to be merged and a new company established under the TNT Kumasi Crucifer Company Limited. Clause 15 of the agreement provided that the agreement was to remain irrevocable for 10 years and no member or director of the company as renamed could present a petition or make an application to the court seeking the winding up or liquidation or in any way seek or attempt to bring the existence of the company to an end. Notwithstanding clause 15, the petitioner, the Yugoslav company, petitioned for the official winding up of the company. The appellate court held inter alia that the crucial issue which was avoided by the trial judge was whether the agreement was still binding on the parties. The court stated that the well-established principle was that where one party manifested a clear intention not to be bound any longer by the terms of his contract or where he openly repudiated it the innocent party might treat the contract as at an end and seek such remedies as were open to him where the breach was fundamental the innocent party might accept the breach and treat it as absolving him from his own obligations under the contract the question whether a breach was fundamental was for the courts to determine in the circumstances of this case if the averments contained in the petitioner's affidavit was established they would indicate that by 1978 the respondent had clearly shown by conduct that they did not regard the 1971 contract as binding and in that case the petitioners would be justified in treating the contract as an end now let's go to option two affirmation of contract by the innocent party 
As noted, when one party commits an anticipatory breach, the party not in default has the option of affirming the contract and treating it as is still being enforced until the date fixed for the performance in spite of the repudiation. The innocent party will be deemed to have affirmed the contract if after becoming aware of the other party's repudiation, it makes it sorry he makes it clear by his words or conduct that he refuses to accept the breach as a discharge of the con the contract for example in a contract for the sale of goods to be delivered by uh, on june 1st if on june 1st the seller informs the buyer that he will not deliver the goods when the date for the delivery arrives the buyer may decide not to accept this repudiation and clearly inform the seller that he will not he will await delivery on july 1st the effect of such affirmation is as follows the contract remains in force for the benefit of both parties this means that both parties remain liable to perform their respective obligations i mean the seller is still bound to deliver and the buyer is still bound to accept the goods and pay the price number two if in the interim the defaulting party changes his mind and decides to perform the contract is thus fulfilled and the defaulting party incurs no liability Number three, the defaulting party is entitled to take advantage of any frustrating event or supervening circumstances which may in occur in the interim, i.e. before the time for performance. So, if after the affirmation of the contract by the innocent party, any frustrating event occurs before the date fixed for performance, the contract will be, will be terminated by reason of the frustration and both parties will be discharged from performance. The innocent party's right to accept the repudiation and claim damages will be lost by reason of the frustration of the contract. In the case of Avery and Bowden, A-V-E-R-Y and B-O-W-D-E-N, the defendant chartered the plaintiff's ship and promised to load it with cargo at Odessa within 45 days. The ship sailed to Odessa to be loaded with the cargo and remained there for a while. While the ship remained there, the defendant repeatedly told the plaintiff to go away since he had no cargo to load the ship with. The plaintiff, however, remained there in the hope that the defendant would fulfill his promise. Before the 45 days elapsed, the Crimean War broke out and the contract was frustrated because the purpose of the contract became illegal. The plaintiff sued for damages for breach of contract. It was held that even though the defendant's repudiation amounted to an anticipatory breach, which would have entitled the plaintiff to sue for damages immediately, that right to damages had now been lost by reason of the frustration of the contract. In the case of Joseph Mboache, the appellant agreed to sell land to the respondent at 60,000 CDs. The terms of the agreement were inter alia the delivery of an abstract of title within seven days to the respondent and the, re the payment of a 20,000 deposit which was to be forfeited if the respondent breached the contract or refunded if the vendor breached it. The respondent transferred a car valued at 10,000 10, CDs to the appellant as part payment for, of the deposit. Within two days of the agreement, the appellant delivered to the respondent an unsigned deed of assignment, which recited the appellant's abstract of title. Following a suite by a suit by a third person challenging the title of the appellant's assigner, the respondent brought an action to reclaim the car transferred, contending that the appellant had breached the contract by not delivering the abstract. The appellant counterclaim for the balance of the deposit. The trial judge held that the appellant had not delivered the abstract. 
On appeal, it was held inter alia that if one contracting party expressly or by conduct repudiated a contract, the other could either accept the repudiation and treat the contract as rescinded or refuse to do so and regard the contract as still alive so that his right will fall to be determined when the time for performance arrived. He could not, however, insist on performance and at the same time adopt the remedies open to him on rescission. In the present case, it was the respondent who broke the contract by refusing to complete on the due date. The appellant could, if he chose, have held himself to his bargain and sought specific performance, but he did not. He accepted the breach and having rightly rescinded the contract, sold the property to someone else and forfeited the partial deposit. Having repudiated the contract, the appellant could not at the same time rely on the contract to found his counterclaim for the balance of the deposit. The case is this. I went to buy la- uh, land from somebody at 60000 Now, the agreement is that I pay a 20000 deposit. Um, and if I don't bring the 20000 if I don't, um, if I if I breach the contract, then I forfeit the twenty thousand. Then if the the one who is selling the land breached the contract, then he has to refund the twenty thousand. Now I went to give the person a car value at ten thousand as deposit, and then you the other guy, the vendor, the one who is selling, gave me uh, an unsigned document for for the land. Now, another party came and said that the other party, the, the seller didn't have rights to sell, to sell the land to me. Then I went back to the seller and said that I want the balance. And he said that I have breached the contract. So I have to pay him the balance of the 20000 So that because I have breached the contract. But the court is holding that. He sold the house, by the facts of the case, he sold the house to somebody else when I came to him that I wanted the money. And so that means that he had accepted to the repudiation. So he couldn't come back and ask for uh, the balance of that my money, right? Now let's go straight to option three. Affirm the contract, perform one's obligation under the contract and sue for payment. When one party repudiates the contract, the innocent party can affirm the contract and treat it as as still in force and wait until the date fixed for performance to see if the defaulting party will perform. The question which was arisen is whether the innocent party can affirm the contract and proceed to perform his side of the contract in spite of the other party's repudiation or anticipatory breach and then sue for payment. This is only possible where the innocent party can perform his side of the contract without the assistance of the other party. For example, if A engages B to build him a ship and A repudiates the contract before the date fixed for the performance, can B ignore the repudiation and go ahead to build a ship and sue for payment under the contract? Now, the issue arose in White and Carter limited and mcgregor the plaintiffs were advertising contractors who supplied litter bins to local authorities the litter bins were then placed on the streets they were allowed to attach to these bins plates or stickers carrying advertisements and the plaintiffs obtained profits by advertising in this way for companies so they gave litter so they created a company and gave litter bins to assemblies for free then in return they 
put the adverts on the, 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 the little bins. The defendant owned a garage and in 1954, the sales manager of the company entered into an agreement with the plaintiffs under which the plaintiffs were to display certain advertisement for the defendant for a certain period of time. The sales manager, in fact, had no authority to make this contract with the plaintiff. And so the owner of the company, when the, he heard of it, wrote to the plaintiffs the same day to cancel the contract. So this company, which were doing this Bola advertisement, went to give uh, a garage one of their beans but it the agreement between they and that garage was not made by the owner so when the owner heard of it he came to repudiate but the company doing the bola advertisement said that they will not repudiate so they performed the contract for three years and after the expiration of three years they came to the company that they wanted their the money for uh, quantum merit now it was held by the majority that the plaintiffs were entitled to sue for the price of the services rendered. The majority was of the view that the plaintiffs were entitled to go ahead and perform as they did, since they could do so without the defendant's cooperation and then sue for the price agreed upon in the contract. It was held, therefore, that the plaintiff was entitled to discharge the defendant's repudiation and perform his side of the contract and sue for the contract price. This was, it, this was however, said to be the subject to, subject to the following qualifications. The innocent party could do so only if he could perform his obligations under the contract without any cooperation from the repudiating party. Secondly, the innocent party could only do so if he could show that he had a legitimate interest, financial or otherwise, in performing the contract rather than claiming damages. If the innocent party had no such legitimate interest, he ought not to be allowed to saddle the other party with an additional burden with no benefit to himself. Now, in the case of Hounslow London Borough Council and Twickenham Gardens Development Limited, the defendant contractor was employed by the borough to do building to do building work on the borough's land. The contract provided that if the contractor failed to proceed diligently with the work, the architect might give him notice specifying the default, and if the default continued for 14 days, the borough might by notice terminate the contract. After four years, the borough gave notice under this procedure to terminate the contract. The contractor refused to accept the repudiation and continued working. The borough sought an injunction to restrain the contractor from continuing with the work. The court stated the two limitations or qualifications to the principal in White and Carter versus and McGregor as follows it must be possible for the innocent party to perform a side of contract without any cooperation from the guilty party and two the performing party must have some legitimate interest in the in proceeding with performance instead of claiming damages the decision in white and carter and mcgregor was not to be applicable in this case because the first requirement was not satisfied now let's go to discharge of a contract by frustration after a contract has been made, unforeseen contingencies or events may occur through no fault of both parties which may make performance of the contract physically impossible or which may radically change the nature of the obligations under the contract. Such events occur, when such events occur, we, 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 we say that the, cost, the contract has been frustrated and the parties are discharged from the obligations they have undertaken to perform under the contract. Now, in Taylor and Cardwell, which is the seminal case for frustration of a contract, 
The case involved a contract for the hire of a music hall for four days. After the contract had been made, the hall was bent down through no fault of either party. The plaintiff sued the defendant for damages for breach of contract on the ground that the defendant had failed to provide the hall as agreed. It was held that where from the nature of the contract, it is clear that the parties must have known the performance of the contract will be impossible unless at the time for performance a specific thing continued to exist, then such a contract was not an absolute contract but was subject to an implied condition that the parties should be excused if, before breach, performance became impossible due to the perishing of the thing without default of the contracting parties. What this means is that if you can anticipate that something will happen during the course of this contract, then that thing could be a breach or could occur to frustrate the, the contract. Okay, But if you cannot anticipate, then it cannot exist to frustrate the contract or to make you liable for paying damages those things could frustrate the contract but could not make you liable for paying those damages the implied condition theory was to the effect that even though there was no express contractual term to deal with the event which had arisen a term could be implied in the contract that if the parties had anticipated and considered the possibility of that thing occurring they would have decided that the contract would be discharged the argument was that in implying such a term the court was only giving effect to what the parties really meant to do the implied term theory was upheld as the basis of the doctrine of frustration until 1956 after which the theory came under heavy criticism with time the implied term theory was criticized as being fictitious and artificial the theory was has now been replaced by a new and more realistic principle that in implying that in applying the doctrine of frustration the court is simply imposing on the parties the just and reasonable solution that the new situation demands so it means that if we want to um apply the doctrine of frustration the 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 court should should avail its mind to a just and reasonable solution that the new situation would demand okay instead of the implied term approach the courts now apply the doctrine of frustration only if they consider that to hold the parties to further performance would in the light of the changing circumstances alter the fundamental nature or that contract now lord radcliffe in davis contractors and ferram udc stated a test for determining when a contract is deemed to be frustrated as follows frustration occurs when whenever the law recognizes that without default of either party a contractual obligation has become incapable of being performed because the circumstances in which performance is called for would render it a thing radically different from that which was undertaken by the contract it is not hardship or inconvenience or material loss itself which caused the principle of frustration into play there must be as well such a change in the significance of the obligation that the thing undertaken would if performed be a different thing from that which was contracted for
Now, how do we apply the test for frustration? In applying the test for frustration, first of all, the contract itself must be construed in the light of the nature or type of the contract and the relevant surrounding circumstances existing at the time the contract was made. Then the scope and the nature of the original obligations undertaken by the parties must be determined. The obligation referred to is the fundamental obligation created by the contract and not just any term or obligation. Next, the scope and nature of the contractual obligations must be assessed, assessed after the event has occurred and the two must be compared to decide whether the new obligation to be performed after the event has occurred will be radically or fundamentally different from what was undertaken under, under the contract originally. It has been emphasized that a mere rise in cost or expense will not suffice. There must be a change in the significance of the obligation undertaken such that the obligation, if performed, will be a different thing than what was contracted for. In other words, it must be shown that the unexpected event affects the subject matter of the contract or radically changes the fundamental obligation created by the contract such that if the obligation were to be performed, it will be completely different. So it must be noted that whether or not a contract is frustrated is a matter of law for the court to consider and in doing so the court applies the objective rule or approach. In Afordi and others and Ghana Publishing Corporation, the Supreme Court noted that the doctrine of frustration in the narrow common law sense of frustration or in the wider international business law notion of force majeure presupposes conditions of factual impossibility or commercial impracticality or insurmountable impediments as defined by the parties themselves. Now let's illustrate the doctrine of frustration. Distraction of a physical thing. Generally, it is clear from the nature of the contract that the continuing availability of a particular thing or a given person is essential to the fulfillment of the object of the contract. The contract will be deemed to have been frustrated if by some extraneous circumstances, such person or thing is no longer available. In Taylor and Caldwell, which involved the hiring of a music hall, the unavailability of the hall due to it having been bent down accidentally resulted in the frustration of the contract. The same principle applies in the case of unavail unavailability of a person, especially in cases involving contracts for the performance of personal services. Example, an artist who contracts to paint a picture or a person who contracts to serve as an apprentice. In contrast for the performance of personal services, the occurrence of an event such as death of the person, serious illness or accident or the person being called out for war or detained may result in the frustration of the contract. In Morgan and Manser, Manser is M-A-N-S-E-R. The defendant, a music hall artist, entered into an agreement with the plaintiff by which he, he appointed the plaintiff as his manager for a term of 10 years. After two years, the plaintiff was called out for service in the army and was not demobilized until eight years, till after eight years. The plaintiff sued the defendant for certain breaches of the agreement and the defendant alleged that by reason of his call up to the army, the agreement had been frustrated. It was held that there was such a change of circumstances and for such a duration that the original contract looked, as, looked at as a whole was frustrated by the call up of the defendant. A contract similarly 
may be deemed to be frustrated by reason of a non-occurrence of an, inve- of an event, which must reasonably be regarded as the basis of the contract. For a contract to be deemed frustrated by a non-occurrence of an event, it must be shown that the event in fact formed the basis of the contract. This factor relates to special kinds of contracts in which the parties enter into mutual understanding that a particular event will happen. It is illustrated in the case of Krell and Henry. There was a contract for the hire of a room to view the coronation procession of King Edward VII. The coronation was cancelled because of the king's illness. It was held that the contract was frustrated since the basis of the contract was this event which had been cancelled. Now, also in Hern Bay Steamboat and Hutton or Hutton, Hern is H-E-R-N-E Bay Steamboat versus Hutton or Hutton. I don't know. H-U-T-T-O-N That's That must be Hutton. So Hern Bay Steamboat and Hutton. The contract for a steamboat was to take a party for the purpose of viewing the naval review at Spithead and for a day's cruise around the fleet. The review was cancelled because of the king's illness, but the fleet was still there. The court held that the cancellation of the review did not frustrate the contract. We will stop here and continue with mere inconvenience, hardship or financial loss not sufficient to frustrate a contract.